book of Micah, we will now embark on the second half of chapter 6. Remember that this chapter opens with a court scene. God has a controversy with His people, and He pleads with them. He asks them, What have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? And then He asks them to testify against Him, knowing that they really didn't have a case against Him. Amen. But He does give them an opportunity. And He reminded them of how He brought them out of the land of Egypt. They were in servitude and bondage. They were enslaved. And God brought them out. And he redeemed them. And then he reminds them of the watch care he had over them. He sent them prophets along the way. He draws their attention to their encampments at Shittim to Gilgal, their last stop in the wilderness and their first stop in the promised land. And it was while there in the plains of Moab that God turned Balaam's would-be curse into a blessing. And at the end of God's pleading, he reminds them that The goodness they had experienced was because of His righteousness. They didn't deserve it, but God being righteous made a promise, and God keeps His word. And He says, remember that I'm righteous, that I do what I say. And so He reminds them that He was able to do all of this in turning this curse into a blessing because He's righteous. And then last week we saw the people's response to God in verse 6 and 7. In their thinking, the solution to please God was to offer more sacrifices. And God didn't need more sacrifices. They even mentioned the abominable practice of sacrificing children. A practice they picked up and adopted from the heathen around them that God said don't do. And then Micah speaks in verse 8 in one of the most well-known verses in this book. And he says, He has showed thee, O man... What is good and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? God is not interested in more sacrifices. God is interested in our obedience. He's always preferred our obedience over sacrifices. Remember that Micah's contemporary Isaiah, prophesying at the same time, said, God said through Isaiah, I am full of your sacrifices. I've had all I can stand of them. And yet their their thinking was, let's just offer more. And yes, God did institute sacrifices under the sacrificial system there of the Old Covenant, but God wanted their heart, amen? He wasn't interested in their ceremonial observances if He didn't have their heart. And boy, is that true today. We've got a lot of people that know to do ceremonial observances in church but does God have their heart? And so if God had their heart, they would be compelled to do what was good. They would do justly. They would love mercy. And they would walk humbly with their God. So just because we bring all these sacrifices, it doesn't mean God has our heart. We can be obedient to the letter of the law, but miss the heart issue. God isn't interested in our externals if He doesn't first have our heart. So what do we need to do? We need to offer to God our bodies as a living sacrifice. Psalm 51, 17, I closed with that last week. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, that will not despise. 
So if you missed last week, please take the time if you can uh, to listen. But this brings us now to the second half of Micah chapter 6. Let's go ahead and read these verses, verses, uh, verse 9 through 16. The Lord's voice crieth unto the city, and the man of wisdom shall see thy name. Hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? Are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked, and the scant measure that is abominable? Shall I count them pure with the wicked balances and with the bag of deceitful weights? For the rich man thereof are full of violence, excuse me, for the rich men thereof are full of violence, and the inhabitants thereof have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore also will I make thee sick in smiting thee, in making thee desolate because of thy sins. Thou shalt eat, but not be satisfied, and thy casting down shall be in the midst of thee. And thou shalt take hold, but shall not deliver. And that which thou deliverest will I give up to the sword. Thou shalt sow, but thou shalt not reap. Thou shalt tread the olives, but thou shalt not anoint thee with oil. And sweet wine, but shalt not drink wine. For the statutes of Omri are kept in all the works of the house of Ahab. And ye walk in their counsels that I should make thee a desolation, and the inhabitants thereof in hissing. Therefore ye shall bear the reproach of my people. Now, I mentioned last week the possibility that the people speaking up in verses 6 and 7 are not bowing to God in the sense of acknowledging, Lord, if we just do sacrifices, will you be pleased? I think it's more of, Lord... We just can't ever seem to please you. I mean, even if I gave you my firstborn, would that really please you? That's kind of what I think the attitude is. I, I mentioned that as a possibility, uh, that they're actually bringing an accusation back against God in this case, and that they're suggesting it's never enough for Him. It's hard to know their attitude. As with anything that's written, it's hard sometimes to really know what it is, how they're responding but the rest of this chapter, I think, may lend some credence to that theory uh, because God, He returns to pointing out their sinfulness. It wasn't like they all of a sudden had this change of heart, they're repenting and they really want to get right. God, He, he now goes on and, and He starts listing all these other things that He has a problem with. Them. He continues His indictment against them. It's like they're not convinced fully of their wickedness. And, and have you noticed with some people, it's hard to convince them, no, you are that wicked. No, I think I'm pretty good. I think God's just going to weigh it all out. No, you're wicked. Well, I think if I, you know, help grandma across the street, you know, God's just going to bless. No. Why would God die for us if we could ever be good enough? It's like they're not convinced, though. So before God lays out more of this indictment against them, there's first a call here in verse 9. There's a call for the wise man to recognize how God has appointed His rod for their understanding. Look at verse 9 again. The Lord's voice crieth unto the city, and the man of wisdom shall see thy name. Hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? We see, first of all, the Lord's voice crieth unto the city. Micah had been called to carry God's message to the capital cities of both houses of Israel. 
Samaria was the capital city to the north, Jerusalem the capital city to the south, and Micah was called to both of these to cry aloud. And sometimes God will speak in a still small voice. At other times, God will cry aloud. While I haven't studied this at length before, it would seem at a glance that God will cry aloud when He needs somebody's attention. Cry aloud when there's God really needs to get somebody to wake up, to shake them up, to get them to see, to get them to hear. Now, God spoke to Elijah in a still small voice. But Elijah, being a child of God, even being a prophet of God, he knew better how to hear God. God's children, over time, should become aware of how God speaks in a still small voice. We, as God's children, we ought to be in tune with God so that we can pick up when He's speaking to us in ways that others may not hear. Isaiah 58.1, though, says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. Why cry aloud? Because now... Instead of being in tune with God and walking with God and being perceptive and knowing that still small voice, they're living in rebellion. They're living against God. And the small voice isn't working. And God now has to speak loudly to try to get people's attention. Remember, John the Baptist was the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. There had been these 400 years of silence. When Malachi stopped writing, that was it until this man clothed in camel's hair, eating honey and locusts out in the wilderness, starts crying aloud. What was God doing? He was shaking up the nation. He was trying to get their attention that something was on the way. And of course, John the Baptist was preparing the way of the Lord. But God had to use him as a voice crying out. He had to shake things up, and boy, did he ever. John the Baptist didn't mess around. He would not be accepted in many circles today. He, he, when the religious elites came, he said, Oh, generation of vipers. That's a great start, amen? <laughs> Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. And then for good measure, he throws in there, and think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And then he went on to say this, He will throughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. He was shaking the people up. He even said the axe is laid to the root of the tree, and if you're not bearing good fruit, it's going to be cast down and thrown in the fire. I mean, this man came preaching. He was a voice crying in the wilderness. He was loud. He was shaking up, folks. And so here in our text, God says through the prophet Micah, the Lord's voice crieth unto the city. Now, I believe in this. We're not seeing something bad. I think we're just seeing God's goodness. That God's actually going to ramp it up a little bit and try to get people's attention and to speak louder and try to get through to them. Proverbs 1, verses 20 through 23, Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse. 
in the opening of the gates in the city, she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Wisdom cries out in the city. That's what Micah's doing. Proverbs 8, verses 1 through 3. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? She standeth in the top of the high places, by the way in the places of the path. She crieth at the gates, the entry of the city, at the coming in at the doors. And then Proverbs 9.3 says of wisdom, She has sent forth her maiden. She crieth upon the highest places of the city. And so there's a pattern of crying aloud in the city, in the crowded places, in places where the sinners are gathered together where there's a lack of understanding, which can be anywhere. It can be in the country as well. When Paul and Barnabas were in Lystra, Paul healed a crippled man. And when the people of the city saw it, they, they declared that Paul and Barnabas were gods. Remember that? And they, they viewed them as these gods that had come down from heaven, and the people are about to make a sacrifice unto them or at least under this whole event that's taking place. But what happened? Paul and Barnabas heard of it, and they rent their clothes, and they ran in among the people, crying out. And they preached, you need to turn to the living God. <laughs> While in Jerusalem one day, the Bible says in John seven thirty seven, in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. There's a time for a still small voice, and there's a time to cry aloud. And you've seen this in your own homes with your children. There's a time to be small voiced. There's a time that maybe they're about to lose a finger doing something stupid. There's a time when we just have to cry aloud. And so there's a time for each. Next, we see here in verse 9 why the Lord's voice was crying unto the city. It says, And the man of wisdom shall see thy name. Hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? Matthew Henry wrote this, quote, When the sin of a city cries to God, His voice cries against the city. And when the judgments of God are coming upon a city, His voice first cries unto it. He warns before He wounds, because He is not willing that any should perish. End quote. And it's wise, it is the wise man who is perceptive enough, get this now, to know when God is working through circumstances. It's the wise man that gets the hint. How many times have I stated God works through circumstances? But how many correctly discern God's voice crying unto them through the circumstance? Unfortunately, many don't. Job 33, 14, For God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. And sadly, many miss it. People hear and they understand not, they see and they perceive not. Why? Because Jesus said, This people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Proverbs 1, verses 24 through 30, 
because I have called and ye refused. I stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me. But I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. How does God bring this reproof? He brings it through circumstances. He ratchets up circumstances in our life. And we miss it. And a lot of times people actually get mad at God through the circumstance that He is using to try to get a hold of somebody. It is the wise man, the Bible says, that will hear God in the reproof of our circumstances and see God working in our life. God can use circumstances and somebody say, God was trying to get my attention. Others can see the same circumstances in their life saying, God hates me. But it is the wise man who discerns how God is working. And so rather than make circumstances in our life seem like we serve a mean God, we ought to understand that we actually serve a good God who cares about us, that is invested in our lives, that He cares what's going on and that He'll intervene. God wants us to hear the rod and who has appointed it. Now I believe God would rather us hear the rod at a distance than to hear it when it's being applied. In other words, change when God says you need to change. When God says judgment's on the way, we might as well go ahead and change. But certainly, we should learn when it is being applied as well. The, the knowledge of judgment to come from the hand of God is meant for us to hear that rod to come. That's what our passage says. If we know it's about to be applied, then shouldn't that cause us to want to straighten up I know this was true in my childhood. I don't know how y'all were raised, but my dad made it clear when the rod was about to be applied. He gave a warning ahead. He always gave a warning. He was never off the handle. He made it clear. And then if I messed up again, I knew what was coming. But the, the fear of that rod, the thought of that rod, it should have caused me to go, I don't want that in my life. Is everybody with me? I'd rather just live right and not have to endure that judgment. The hope of my father was that since the hearing of the rod didn't cause me to get right in those times that I didn't listen to his judgment to come, I didn't listen to the warnings, the hope was that the actual applying of the rod would cause me to turn. Sometimes it did. Sometimes it didn't. Sometimes it did, and sometimes I didn't change internally. I only changed my outward behavior, but not my heart. But God knows the heart. And I, and I know this isn't popular today, but the Bible still says, spare the rod, spoil the child. Amen. Beat him with the rods, he's not going to die. And that's why God gave us all this cushion. So there are circumstances in your life when God is trying to get your attention. Can you hear God's voice crying out? The wise man will hear. The wise man will hear the rod and will understand who hath appointed it. 
So we have to open our ears to hear and we have to open our eyes to perceive God's working in our life. Now, God has given us His Word to help us along, to use that to warn us of things to come, that if you, if you do this, this is what you can expect. God gives us His Word. He gives us His ministers. He gives us faithful people to proclaim the dangers of going astray. And God wants us to learn the dangers of going astray and not have to learn the hard way. But we're stiff-necked. We're hard-hearted. We're rebellious. I don't think God enjoys the act of chastening His children. Just like I don't really enjoy the act of having to chasten my children. But God knows it's necessary for our growth and our understanding. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5-11 through 11, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of Him, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Well, that's a good question in light of today's culture. Let me read that one again. That's good. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but He for our profit, that we might be partakers of His holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby." And so what we see is that the chastening of God is meant to bring us in line with Him. Amen. It's not because God's mean. It's not because He's ugly. It's not because He hates you. It's because He loves you and He wants you in line with Him. He wants us to be blessed. He wants us to to be in line with Him. Our earthly fathers, they chastened us and we gave them respect. We, We gave them reverence. So likewise, God chastens us. Why? The Bible said there, in order that we would be in subject, subjection to Him. This just goes against so much of what the world's teaching today that it's hard to even read these things and not just want to blast some of it. But God just wants us in subjection. He's our heavenly Father. And as we covered last week and already mentioned this morning, God just wants our obedience. Has your child ever done something wrong and they bring you a sacrifice, so to speak, to try and smooth things over ahead of time? Does that negate the judgment? Well, sometimes we are merciful. And we should be. Our, God, our Heavenly Father is merciful. But sometimes it's serious enough that even the pouty lip and the, the welled up eyes, and the, it doesn't negate the judgment. It still should be administered if it's something that is serious enough. And that's how it is with God. Listen, I can tell you God's very merciful to me. He does not give me what I deserve. But how many of you understand that there are things that we can do that are serious enough that God's going to say, even though you have come and said you're sorry, there still needs to be a consequence for this sin. It's not good that we go astray, but it is good that God corrects us. 
It means we are His children, that we are loved of God. And we are told not to despise this chastening because if we respond to the rod, then it will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So are you wise enough this morning? Are you wise enough to perceive God's correction through His judgments? Where you get angry and bitter at God. Proverbs 9, 8 through 10, Rebuke a wise man and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Proverbs 15, 5, A fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. Proverbs 15, 31, The ear that heareth the reproof of life abideth among the wise. Proverbs 19, 20, Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. Isaiah 55, 3, Incline your ear and come unto me here, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. So we need to be wise. We need to receive God's instruction and reproof. Why? Because what verse 9 tells us, all God's trying to do is get us to see Him. Look at what it says in the middle there. And the man of wisdom shall see thy name. Why does God bring things into our life? Why do we go through these circumstances? God wants us to see Him again. To be in a right relationship with Him again. You see, God just wants our fellowship. But can two walk together except they be agreed? So sometimes God brings the rod to bring us to Himself. And this goes back to verse 8, where God just wants His people to walk humbly with Him. I just want you to walk with me. Can you imagine God wanting to walk with us? God will come to us and He'll say, This is what's good. This is what I require. But sometimes he has to shake us up. And he does have to cry aloud. And he does have to bring the rod. Well, we're going to end early. I don't want to get into the next verse. Let me challenge you to seek God in your circumstances. All of us go through them. And, and I'm, of the, uh, I'm in the camp that believes nothing just happens by chance. I believe God's in complete control. And is God crying aloud in your life? Can you hear the rod approaching? Can you hear the rod approaching? Or is the rod already being applied in your life? Don't despise God's chastening, but allow God to bring you back into a right relationship with Him. The wise man will hear God's reproof and yet be wiser. So don't be foolish and misrepresent God's workings in your life. Don't accuse God of being mean, is what I'm saying. But understand it is His goodness in trying to get your attention. Now, I think this is probably a a lesson for another time, but I feel like I do need to mention this, and I don't know if I'll be able to explain it properly. But sometimes in our life we have these circumstances that come up, And God's trying to get our attention, and He does. And we find ourselves back in church all of a sudden. 
or we find ourselves back in the Word of God, or we find ourselves praying again and, and doing these things that we knew we know we should have been doing all along. Now we find ourselves doing those things, and yet there's still more problems. What are we to make of that? Because I've seen that a lot here. And it's like one thing after the other just keeps going wrong. And the temptation is to throw up your arms and say, God, here I am. I'm trying to do the right thing. Why is this still happening in my life? Now, I don't want this to sound contradictory, but I want you to try to understand what it is I'm trying to say here, that I believe what happens in, the, in those situations is God has used a circumstance to get you back, and now Satan doesn't like that you're back. And so the attacks come. Now, I personally believe that God even controls all that because he put a bound upon Satan in Job and said, you can't kill him. So I, I don't even know how to really put all this into words, but I want you to understand that sometimes when God uses a circumstance, a circumstance to chastise you and brings the rod into your life and you start to correct, well, you got an enemy out there that had some territory that doesn't want to let go of that territory. And they're going to keep at it and they're going to fight. Does that make sense? Because I think sometimes we, we are accusing the wrong person. And, and we just have to be discerning, I guess, is what I'm saying. Um, there's a transition period where you have to break off that old life and become that, that new person that God's making you. you. You have to put on the new man, the Bible says. And so you, you have this transition period where God has used a circumstance, cried aloud, shook up your life, Boy, I need to get back in church. I need to get right. I need to, you know, do these things. And, but, Lord, how come all this stuff's still happening? Because back over here, you had somebody who wanted that territory. And so you've got to push through that difficult transition period. Because sometimes people in frustration, they'll throw up their hands and they'll throw in the towel. And they'll just say, I'm done with all this. I thought this was going to fix everything. Well, like I said, that's probably a whole other lesson there, but... Just understand that when God is speaking, He just wants your fellowship. To walk humbly with thy God. Let's pray.